This episode of Untold Stories is sponsored by Nexo and Kava Labs. You'll hear more about them later on in this episode. What is up, everyone? I am Charlie Shrem, and you are listening and watching Untold Stories, where twice a week we get to dive deep with some of crypto's most influential leaders and really 175 thus far of the most brilliant people that I've ever freaking met. Like, every single person on this show is epically times as like 10 times smarter than me. And I don't even consider myself smart. So if you haven't listened to these episodes yet, you need to go back and listen to every single episode because the wealth of knowledge that I've had over the past year or two has come from the guests on this show. And today we're actually joined by the founder and CEO of Kava Labs, Brian Kerr. Wow, what his outlook on life and understanding of uh, a complete broad spectrum of topics was outstanding. And I didn't want to actually hit the end button uh, to stop recording, but the editors get mad at me. They're like, no, Charlie is too much, too much. But you know, we'll, we'll do a longer show today. Who cares? Enjoy. Thank you for coming on the show today. And I was actually thinking about this this morning. So just, we have like a whole writer's meeting and we plan the shows and everything. And um, I'm so excited to be talking today about about Kava Labs and about um, centralized, um, decentralized finance and how to like, how do we get on more of that path to decentralized, decentralized finance? Um, and I do want to say thank you too for, you guys have have uh, just recently started started sponsoring Untold Stories. Let me tell you, like not only thank you, but but doing this, and I'm doing this recorded and not before because I want everyone to know how grateful I am because this has been able to be my full-time job now and being able to, to, to uh, be an evangelist for Bitcoin and crypto and to be able to go out there and allow my voice to be the first voice that people learn about this whole industry uh, instead of getting hit by scams and attacks and frauds, that's very important. So not only are you supporting me in, in this journey, but you're also supporting the overall crypto community. So thank you so much. Really do appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think just similarly, you're one of the uh, uh, pinnacle isn't the right word, but you know, one of the OGs in the space. And I think anything, as you said, to, to lift up Bitcoin, lift up the cryptocurrency industry in a positive direction is, is good for everyone. So I think you're, you're, you're doing the Lord's work. The Lord's, the Lord's work. Thank you. The Lord being Satoshi. Um, <laughs> so um, this is, this is really cool because there's, there's some really good really good topics that that we can talk about today and a lot of people so one of the early like i wanted to one of the first topics that i was actually thinking about coming in today was about uh stable coins and so uh for those who don't know uh kava actually has their own uh stable coin called xusd and hard is that accurate usdx is usdx stable coin uh, we also have Kava, which is the governance token of, of the blockchain platform. And then we launched a, a money market application recently, and that's called Hard Protocol. And it has its own governance token called Hard. Everyone who's familiar with DeFi knows right now that pretty much most of the the, the mechanisms and the ways to do it um, happen right now uh, through centralized mechanisms, through a lot of these companies that offer it, and they're audited, publicly traded, and they're, they got licenses and everything. And that's that's great. But we need to be on that like path to decentralization always. I talk about that on every single show. That's okay 
to 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 launch and to to grow and to build now. But as long as you're the intention is to be and you're writing the code to be on that full path, that's the most important thing. And I remember like the first thing my father or mother ever said to me about Bitcoin in 2011 was the price is going up and down too much. And I thought, wow, they're right. And I actually knew nothing about like this was I was learning Bitcoin by getting people attacking me about why it would fail. And then I'd have to educate myself on why they were wrong. And so the volatility I came to realize was actually one of the most important things because you create a perfect hybrid of equilibrium of buyers and sellers. But we do need eventually things to be priced in some stable mechanism, some stable price that isn't volatile. And over the years, so many companies and so many projects have tried and failed to launch stable coins in a decentralized way. And we only know that. And, and unfortunately, the centralized stable coins like USDT, USDC have been attack vectors for fear, uncertainty, and doubt for our industry. Why have why why is creating a decentralized stablecoin so difficult? Uh, that's a great question. I think the the first answer is that outside of the technical challenges, uh, it's just an expensive problem to solve. Um, with a, a trust that stores dollars on behalf of people and a centralized issuer creates it, there's already a business model baked into that. They're earning money in whether the repo market or with money markets, whatever. But that trust is earning money for that op that that business to keep going, and that's why Tether and and those actually have become incredible businesses. Um, on the decentralized stablecoin side of things, whether it's DAI or, or USDX, the biggest problem that you run into is not on the creating it or like algorithmically managing it based on price feeds and, and others, but it's managing the liquidity that's available in the market and making sure that market makers and other market participants uh, have an equal amount of buying and, and, and selling demand so that it pegs itself appropriately to the dollar because you can have the, the technology peg it to a dollar. But in the public markets, uh, it's all about liquidity of, of the exchanges. And, and that ultimately results in what a user experience is. And it, it takes actually just a lot of capital to, to get it to that point. And you have to have a very robust system to make the stablecoin uh, work. In like, um, in the current credit and capital markets, um, there's a lot of math and technology, but there's no, uh, I'm not going to say socioeconomics, but there's no like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? There's no study of human interaction and human action and, and how we feel and think about money within the legacy financial system. I mean, you just watch, you know, the federal reserve go on TV. It's boring. There's, it's just math it's levers. It's like, you think they walk back into a room and you're like, Hmm. What lever shall we pull today? And they just go up and down, up and down. But it's so interesting too, because you came, you came from 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 gaming companies, right? And you that's your background. In this situation, running a state, and it's not, it's just one product of what of what you offer, but in in running a decentralized stablecoin, it's not just all these different like technology and math, but it's like you said, it's all these different actors that you have to like maintain a perfect balance it's it's crazy to think about it's actually a really fun problem to think about uh I, I well one i like challenges i'm a gamer i always try to get you know beat the game on hard mode beat it on hardcore mode 
uh, and go for glory, even if really you know, is that I, your is that your way of playing video games? I think so. I, I I often tell people that World of Warcraft is a perfect analogy for the real life because uh, you have some people that spend all their time killing slimes, getting very fancy little trinkets that don't do anything for them other than they can show it to their friend and say like, look at my nice Rolex or look at yeah. my nice Lambo, right? But they do the exact same function as many other things. It's just sort of the there's some pride there. Uh, there's other folks who spend all their time doing PvP, player versus player, trying to level up their their own skills and killing other people and proving that they're the best. And then there's others who uh, participate on what's called the auction house, but it's like the eBay of that world um, where they will buy all the, say, like spools of cotton and then have a, a monopoly on that. And anytime Smart. another person tries to sell a spool of cotton, they buy it up just so they can put their prices really high and they you know corner the market on, on this in-game cotton or whatever it might be. Uh, and I think all of those are just such great analogies for how people choose to live their daily lives. Um, some people spend their whole, whole life grinding just to get a Lambo and other people spend their whole life trying to show that, you know, they have skills to be a good athlete or, uh, you know, a, a creator of some kind. And then other people are just obsessed with this money game and they, yeah. they want to win the money game. Um, but there's all of it. And, and you can choose to dabble in, in each and every one. Um, for me, I'm definitely in the, 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 the money side and I'm definitely in the PVP. I, I love competition. I love uh, putting myself in really awkward spots and you know coming out on on top. And uh, I think there's just huge opportunities to learn from from doing that. So I'm I'm kind of in between those two, and I'm way off from the the Lambo and and that side of things. I I have no desire to kill slimes for a hundred years and and just get an epic mount. Everything is a balance. Show off. Yeah, everything is a balance. We um when you play a video game though, and the game's over. It's game over. And so you're playing to like a, a satisfied feeling that that game is over um, or for other reasons. But in life, I know we're really digressing now, but in life, uh, I, I wonder, I think about this every single day. Uh, not what's the point, but what's the ultimate motivation? What is the ultimate motivation? Because once the listener agrees with you and with I, because I agree with you, that money is just a means to something. What is that something, in your opinion? I think that it's very interesting to watch people who, in my view, won the money game. So uh, you have folks like Chris Larson from Ripple, who you know, amassed a huge amount of wealth, uh, or Brock Pierce, you know, amassed a huge amount of wealth from the early days of, of crypto. Uh, Chris Larson, actually, Brock Pierce, both in in some ways, followed the same path, which is they kind of won the money game and they started mm. looking for what else can I do? What else can I contribute where I can find meaning and purpose? And uh, in Chris Larson's case, I think he's building one of the largest Buddhist temples outside wow. of Cambodia, but in the United States. I have to call Chris up. I, I didn't know that. I've seen the, the progress, but you know, it's just fantastic. But he's like, I'm going to win the religion game or contribution or help people. Um, and I think Brock Pierce in many ways, you know, he tries to live and embody this positive spirit. Yeah. Uh, bringing just sort of warmth and, and love to everything that he, he does. And um, I think that they both kind of are the same side of the same coin there where they said, okay, money is this thing that I've already taken care of. Now it's like the higher levels of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. What is my self-actualization that I, I need to jump into now? And for at least them, they went to more the, the holistic uh, 
contribution to society. But what motivates, so even when you do that, I actually asked Brock the same thing recently. If you go down to Puerto Rico, Brock is uh, revered. He's affected in such a positive way so many people's lives. Most people he doesn't even know uh, because he doesn't care. He just wants to bring bring like uh, uh, positivity to everyone. Uh, and I asked him this question and I, and I loved his answer. And, um, do you want me to tell you what his answer was? Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. He just seeks joy. That's mm. it. He just, he just wants to seek joy from every day, from the minute you wake up. to the minute you, you go to sleep, there's a constant battle inside of you. And I, I feel this sometimes if, if anyone's ever felt with like depression and anxiety, you, uh, uh or PTSD, there's a constant, like demon of of a of of just negativity that's constantly like fighting to come to the surface and that shouldn't be you shouldn't have to fight happiness and so seeking joy uh that like pure joy and happiness uh it gets harder as you 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 become much more wealthy as as he was telling me and so that like to i think that is like the the path to buddhism in a way like the, you know the mm. path to buddha or whatever Path I, I know decentralization. For me, I, I feel so much pressure and anxiety just from being an entrepreneur. I think it's a very stereotypical entrepreneur thing to just be hard on yourself, even in times of success. Uh, like yesterday, just as a very recent example, Kava's at all time highs. The company's doing, you know, fantastic, better than it ever has. Uh, but I was working all day and, you know, there was a lot of great press that came out. I had a piece in Quintelegraph about me. I was, I was just like, by all measures, work was going fantastic. You're, uh, yeah. But then at the end of the day, I sat there and sort of my heart just sank. And I was just like, oh, life is, doesn't feel, mm. there wasn't enough joy today. And I was like, it would have been so much better if I didn't work all day. And I just took 10 minutes to go outside and walk around and look at the leaves blowing the wind and just like appreciate the small things. Because I was so focused on my goals that I just couldn't experience life in its full breath. And I think that's something that, especially entrepreneurs and people who, um, tend to land on the negative side of things just in terms of their mentalities uh, really need to make space for. And, and I, I do try, but I forget often. It's in the ethos of crypto. I mean, Satoshi, time is money. The whole point was to create zero latency when trying to do business. I mean, for my, I viewed Bitcoin as, wow, you're now taking every middleman, every latency, everything, every trust mechanism that have fucked us all over over the years and all of that and removed and baked it all into code. And it was beautiful, but, you know, based on the fact that one plus one will always equal two. But the point was to, re to reduce, like, do you say to yourself, I want to next year make more money? Or can we start saying to ourselves, I want to make the same amount, but do it in half the amount of time? Because then we can use that other time for for seeking joy and happiness. Um, but speaking I think it's on so a important to to have finite goals, and I, I do try to create goals and put a timestamp on them. Uh, there's so many I, in my life. I used to only have career goals, and only now in my 30s do I actually say, "Okay, I want to have some personal goals. I want to have things that add to the breadth of my my experience." Um, so I think, I think we're it's the same age. To compress so. and accelerate your, your career goals, but you should also try to figure out what is that for, for personal life? Because, I mean, your career is going to come to an end at some point. There's, I think I'm always going to be working in some fashion, but at the same time, it's probably not going to be 
the same industry over the next 50 years. So it's important to, to try to get all the other bits and pieces of your life put together and uh, going in the right direction as well. Hey guys, it's Charlie. And remember that time we interviewed Anthony Trenchev from Nexo Finance? Well, they are on a roll right now offering 5.9% APR on your crypto credit. You'll be able to borrow at less than 6% on some of your crypto. They got a savings account that's offering 12% interest a year. And now they have an integrated exchange so you can trade between all your cryptos without ever leaving their integrated wallet. It's so amazing. Make sure you check it out at nexo.io and start earning interest, start managing your assets because crypto banking just got real with Nexo. I love that. That's awesome. <laughs> I love Nexo. It's such a great company. I want you guys to take a moment and check out what the folks and my newest sponsors over at Kava Labs are doing. Because up until now, whenever you do anything related to DeFi, like borrowing, lending, uh, loans, bonds, stable coins for Binance, Huobi, Kraken, or all these different different places, they actually have been using Kava Labs on the back end. And now you can get those same APYs and those same awesome features that these financial institutions have been getting you can get them too all you have to do is go to kava.io and check it out but on top of that kava and binance uh, working for international women's month have been launching a fifty thousand dollar prize pool that's ending this week all you have to do is go to binance or click the link in my show notes you'll be able to go on there trade a hundred dollars so all you do is trade a hundred dollars and you get cards that you're entered into drawings that you can get up to $50,000 a part of a prize pool. Make sure you check them out, kava.io. I'm Charlie Schrem. It seems like with Kava Labs, though, you you really are pushing the envelope uh, a lot quicker than than everyone else. So you look at like what you've done, what you're you're trying to do, and what the future roadmap looks like. And then on top of that, you're like, really pushing forward with that path to decentralization with 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 governance with allowing token holders to vote on real things not just like hokey pokey stuff and then you do you know of course gov blockchain governance is and we'll talk about this a little bit later in the episode it has its positives and its negatives and you have to work through them and everyone assumes that it's always going to work but you have to work through them and for the positive down the road and it's really great to see uh you have to kind of grind those wheels and watching that. And so with Kava, a company launched in 2020 and um, you've, been, you've been offering all sorts of, of borrowing, lending, staking, uh, but also, and I've seen, I keep seeing this all over, uh, uh, is, is bringing Bitcoin, bringing DeFi to Bitcoin. What, what does that mean? And, and, and how are you trying to do that? I mean, that's a, a loaded question, but... Uh... You know, I don't speak on behalf of Kava Labs right in this moment. I'm a pretty strong Bitcoin maximalist. I think Bitcoin is one of the, the best inventions ever. I think it is the, the purest money that the space has I agree. right now. I think it's a great store of value. Um, but you know, coming back to Kava Labs, what we're doing is really as the world moves to this new digital money, as they move to this world of cryptocurrencies, we're focused on providing all the same services that a person would experience at a bank. Uh, where there's savings accounts, there's credit, there's loans, uh, there's interest earning uh, products like money markets. We're building all of that, but now for this new cryptocurrency world. And what was so beautiful about Bitcoin was that it put power back in the hands of people. They could disintermediate the banks. They were free of censorship. 
they wouldn't have to pay middlemen or fees or anything that came along with it. They were in control. They had custody. They could make payments. They could store value. But the the problem was when you take away the bank, you don't get any of those great services that the bank provides, and you don't have anybody to scream at if you fat finger, you know, yep. sending a transaction and losing money. So what Kava Labs is really building is a, a platform that just has a portfolio of these DeFi products or financial services, um, and we're very pragmatic in our focus right now. Where today it's very hard to do everything in a decentralized way. There's, as you mentioned, huge stablecoin issuers. There's a lot Oracle of value problems. Uh, in yeah. those assets. People want to put those assets to work. And we are uh, you know, very happy to work with those centralized issuers, get those assets onto our platform. Like with BUSD, for example, uh, we, we've done that. And then everyone who has BUSD can start using the money markets, the lending products, and, and everything else. Um, so for, for us, like, we're just pragmatic. We look at where the market is and where it wants and what, what it wants. And today it wants to earn yield on all these great crypto assets that have been made. Um, and what is the, the place that people live? Like the technical users will figure out how to use DeFi products. They'll jump through a thousand different hoops to get access to that because there's high yields on the other side. But for 90% of the people who have exposure to crypto today, they have their assets on Coinbase, they have them on Kraken, they have them on Binance, and they've never sent a transaction from that exchange somewhere else. Um, and they're very uncomfortable testing their own keys because it means that they're at risk. That's an interesting point. I want to get back to that after, but continue. Mm -hmm. um, so where we focus is while we're building this protocol on the back end, we think of it as like financial service plumbing. And our focus is to actually put it in to these centralized venues, which are the crypto exchanges today, but in the future is going to be investment apps. It's going to be the PayPal's and Fidelity's and Square's of the world, because those are going to be the places that own the experience for retail customers. But those customers need financial services for their for their digital assets. And Wait, they just yeah. cannot be done in the same way uh, that a bank does it now. And I mean, since blockchain technology is available, you can take away all the middlemen, you can make the, the process of connecting borrowers to lenders autonomous and programmatic. And what that means is you can actually have really high APYs on all these assets. Uh, for, for, for lenders or, or people who want to earn interest with their Bitcoin and, and other assets. It's so interesting about lending and, and borrowing on crypto. Um, everyone's used to kind of the way it's done now. And then everyone's moving to, a lot of people are moving to like the Voyagers and the BlockFi's and a lot of these places that like Nexo that you can uh, get um, like like percentages on your USDC or something. And those are largely centralized platforms themselves, right? Mm -hmm. That they are financial institutions. Um, do you think, you think adoption is ready for the jump to like fully decentralized platforms that offer these things? And, and then what I mean by that is when you have the control, not by like a single person anymore, but rather by like the token holders that are voting on things. Mm. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what's happening today. And a lot of people don't realize that under the hood of Compound and Aave and all these other DeFi, you have actually huge players like Celsius and Nexo and BlockFi that are actually participating in these DeFi applications. They, they get yields there. That's they so might cool. combine it with other yields like you know lending in a B2B fashion, but they take that composite yield and give it back to their end users. And they provide that service of you know routing and, and getting some some returns here and they take the risk some returns in DeFi, and they give it to people that they have a relationship with uh 
I find it really hard to to see how that is not going to be the paradigm going forward. I think DeFi is 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 plumbing. I think it's infrastructure that yeah. this new digital asset economy is is going to leverage. But I think if you're not a technical user, you're absolutely going to be kind of in these venues that make the user experience really nice. Because to be honest, in DeFi today, the user experience is not not very nice. No, it sucks. It still sucks. Um, even for me, it sucks. Just because most of the, most most DeFi is unfortunately still done on Ethereum, although it's moving away from that. Like you guys are on are part of the the uh, Cosmos ecosystem on their uh, on the Tendermint SDK, which is awesome. Um, yeah, and what a lot of people don't realize is that means we built our own blockchain. Yeah, where we part of the ecosystem. Framework, but then we added all these modules that provide DeFi, and I, I mean we just don't believe any blockchain can do everything well. Ethereum tried to do everything well, but in the world of interoperability. It makes sense to specialize in one thing. And for us, that's security and reliability and providing a, an ecosystem just for DeFi, not you know, uh, opening it up to crypto kitties and other transactions that are going to take bandwidth and uh, the resources of the blockchain. Do that very well. And then when a developer is trying to build you know, a new Web3 app of the future, they can combine what we offer with maybe privacy of another blockchain. Uh, you know, they can layer a bunch of different blockchain services together and create apps that, you know, I can't even conceive today, but I yeah, think that's where everything is headed. So I think your point is that we, that we can't really, uh, know what the future applications will be on these blockchains. So how can we build blockchains to cater for one specific thing? And I, and I kind of want to ask you a question that I think you're going to answer different. Um, in the early days of Bitcoin, Vitalik was... Uh, trying to to put uh, the Ethereum and its functions on top of like a layer one on top of Bitcoin somehow, you know, how that would be done wasn't really uh, uh, fleshed out because the Bitcoin community was so against this. And at the time, I was like, well, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with adding more functionality? Now, understand I'm, I wasn't a developer and I didn't understand that by adding even a semicolon in a code base has fundamental changes that for, you know, potentially for the bad. Uh, but so do you think that the Bitcoin community was right to, to be so against, like, to say like, Hey, just launch, like you need to just launch your own blockchain. And that's what Vitalik ended up doing. I definitely fall in the camp of Nick Carter and a bunch of other, uh, Bitcoiners who believe that they aren't really competing. Ethereum will try to say it's competing as, you know, money of the future. But yeah, I, I personally true. don't think they're competing at all. That's true. Like the same thing, the 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 gold versus Bitcoin narrative was created by the gold people. Yeah, I'm sitting yeah. here and I'm like, Peter Schiff, you did this to yourself. You, we, I love gold. Who doesn't like gold? I love yeah. gold. You know, like my wife loves gold too. Everyone loves gold chain. You created this narrative. That's your freaking fault. Yeah. Uh, so so when you know Vitalik spins off and you know create Ethereum, I. I think that's great. I think it's doing something fundamentally different. And what Ethereum has ultimately became, in my view, is, is not like the platform that's going to be great in the long run for everything. Instead, what it's going to be is this consistent idea generation machine. Developers can deploy code, they can test it out, they can see how it works in the wild. And then once it's there, they can take it in production to Binance Smart Chain, to a bunch of the other uh, you know, solidity compatible things like yeah. the Blossom on, on Cosmos SDK chains. There's so many things that they can do once they've proven it in sort of a product market fit fashion on Ethereum. And I, I think 
the developer community of Ethereum is so strong, it's going to continue to persist yeah. and be the leader. Uh, but unfortunately, the user experience in the blockchain itself is kind of hitting this like resource constraint. So while it will continue to generate ideas um, in this phenomenal fashion, I think ultimately when things when it's time to go to production, when it's time to go, you know, with a 10-year view in mind, uh, you're gonna see those that same applications spin off and either make their own special purpose blockchain or they're gonna find a blockchain that's more suited to their needs. Compound's a great example of this. They're now focused on making their own blockchain, uh, even though they're by, huh. by far one of the most successful apps on, on Ethereum. This this conversation is really interesting, and I didn't I didn't know we were going to be going down this road. Um, so you, you came from a, a gaming background, and you also like ran very successful product launches uh, uh, in your in your. Uh, I think you were part of the Kenwood Group. My research shows, mm -hmm. and you did some some uh, some work with Nvidia and and some other product launches and things like that. But it seems like you have a very very deep understanding of the plumbing, and I like that term. I'm going to use that behind Bitcoin, and then the new kind of plumbing around around crypto and i do want to ask you how you got into this or else i because i never asked that question anymore but i'm now genuinely curious so you so you understand that but for the listener who's been listening we haven't really been focusing on that you we keep coming back to like the user experience the user interface the ux right we keep going back to that like the the DeFi at the end of the day like these centralized companies are just using the DeFi plumbing and then taking half the profits and giving it. But the, but the DeFi plumbing should have the user experience in and of itself. And that's what Kava Labs is bringing. Yeah. So, so like if we unpack that a little bit more, in your view, what are like the top few problems today with how uh, decentralized finance is done across all blockchains, like from a user perspective, from someone who's brand new to this? Okay, that, that's a loaded question. Um, the first thing is just, that education gap of what is crypto? How do I store it? Do I put on hardware ledger? Do I put on mobile phone? Do I use trust wallet? Those basic questions of someone who's outside of crypto but wants to get in because they see the opportunity, the high APYs, that's the, the, the number one thing. The second thing is there's not a good way to validate credibility of the different platforms right now. Yeah, there it's isn't. It's so easy to see, uh, you know, they're, X, Y, and Z platform, and you compare it to Compound or or Maker, the you know the the real deals. You know, like they they both look great. I don't know, but one is gonna you know pull the rug right out from under these people as soon as they're on it, uh, and you know are just complete scams. So it's just so hard to decipher and do due due diligence. Um, and I actually think that's why centralized venues like Coinbase or Binance actually provide a really good service uh, by integrating. DeFi that they know is real, that they know is legit, that they know can provide value yeah. to their users. And instead of needing them to custody their keys, instead of them needing to calculate like what is their risk by participating in this, they're actually the counterparty then to users in that case. And all the user has to think of is deposit Bitcoin, you know, slide a little slider that uh, specifies how much. And then it's there. It's like a savings account to them. Easy. And that's a far better user experience than... I mean, just for example, moving Bitcoin from Binance to on-chain, getting it to Binance chain, having a bridge from Binance chain to Kava, figuring out how you're going to use it on the Kava blockchain, yeah. right? It's just like there's so many extra steps there. And centralized venues, they have technical people. They can abstract that all away and give their users a beautiful experience. Whenever I want to use a new blockchain, I'm always, I'm always a little nervous because I want to know 
And I'm someone who, like, I'm going to go and read the whole white paper or something before. And I and sometimes there's, there's still scams, like like that BitClout thing that launched a week or two ago or whatever. Uh, you never know what, what malicious developer. It could be a very honest organization. Uh-huh. But, you know, there could be one malicious developer that, you know, inserts a little code there. And if there's not a strong review process of that code, uh, it, you know, the, the whole thing can come tumbling down. It's, it's very scary. I agree. So it's not a hard, it's not hard for, for financial institutions to make yields, whether, you know, 12 to 18, per, I've been saying banks make a dollar, 18% per year for every dollar. I did my research. It is that that's the higher end average yeah. banks will make 10 to 18% a year on our dollar. Right. Still a lot of money. Like where's the other 9% going? Not to me. I'm getting you know, half a percent in the bank and that's <laughs> right, right. high yield. Right. So now these it's crazy. And I try to explain like inefficient markets to people. This is the perfect example. Here is like that's 20% inefficient. That's 18% inefficiency. Right. So here you have like the uh, the you're voy- also thinking about is 99% tax from the middleman. <laughs> yeah. You have the the next the Nexos and the Voyagers, which are like the middle middle centralized platforms that are offering like six to eight percent, mm-hmm. right? So they're still getting those. It's not hard for the for them to go get good yields. And the reason they can do that and still pass it off on to me, and they're still making crazy yield. They're still making their own. These companies are making hand money hand over foot. Uh some of these companies that they um that's how inefficient the market is for for earnings any sort of like interest or APY. It's it's yeah, so crazy. You, you can think about the people involved in each process too, right? On the traditional banks and side, papers, hundreds and of security, thousands of people yeah. paper pushing and moving it to make Credit it work scores. in a regulatory and compliant manner. You have the Nexo and BlockFi folks, which you know are a hundred people, a thousand people, and they're making it work uh, in that fashion. But these are still salaries you have to pay. Sure. And then sure. you have the fully decentralized autonomous model, just software running the cloud. Everything's done programmatically, connecting the people who supply capital to the borrowers who pay interest. And then you just have this beautiful system design where you don't need any of those people pushing paper in the middle, uh, need to be paid salaries. And I, it's just, it is the definition of a more efficient, uh, you know, plumbing or infrastructure. Uh, and it's why it's so disruptive to the traditional finance industry, which exists today. I want to, I'm, I'm checking this out for a second. And I want to, I want to like, let's, let's bring some real examples here. So like I have a friend, he, he earns, uh, I was just checking, he earns 8% on his USDC, $100,000 he has on a platform, 8%. Uh, he understands how USDC works, what the risks are, uh, where they could come and that it's on the Ethereum blockchain, but there's counterparties and there's some legal, legalese, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Let's let's use USDX for as, as an example. How does it work as a stable coin from like a very high level and like almost like and then t- like where I know it's like you have to be honest, but where what are the pitfalls of like a decentralized stable coin? How could they fail and how are you protecting against that? So first, I'll, I'll just talk about USDX because I, I, I truly believe it's a beautiful thing. Um, it's still very early in Convince its days. Me. Only about 80 million has been made on behalf of users. Uh, it's still in the market, struggling to peg to the uh, to the dollar. Um, it has a pretty big range, but I think as we increase listings, as we increase kind of grow the platform, um, and especially as we launch the completion of, of the hard money market, which will give it a, a better home, 
Um, and as we launch the, the AMM that we have later this year, I think USDX will start pegging much, much more uh, in, in a much more robust way. But what's beautiful about USDX, particularly because we've designed our platform the way we have, is unlike in Ethereum or other blockchains, you don't need to pay gas fees for it. It actually can be a transactionless uh, or like a fee-less stablecoin. So you don't need to manage an Ethereum supply to send DAI. Uh, with USDX, like you don't need to hold Kava to send USDX. You just need to hold USDX in your wallet. And that actually creates really interesting use cases um, for, let's say, a Venmo or a PayPal who's going to integrate a stablecoin as a more efficient means yeah. of transferring value. They actually can do this now with USDX, not hold any weird crypto asset that's volatile, that's spiking up and down. And instead, users can just use it just like they, they would USD in, in uh, a standard app. So I think, and, and that's all because of, we designed this thing to where validators actually provide the infrastructure, they validate transactions, they can choose to accept fees or not. And we don't run into the same sort of scaling issues as Ethereum, which has to uh, charge fees because there's just so much competition over the resource of the blockchain. Um, so USDX is, again, I think one of the most beautiful things in, in that way. And it has a, a huge future in payments, although that's not where we focus today. Uh, we focus on providing people a stable store of value and then giving them venues like the hard money market to put that stable store of value in their interest. What, what is this hard money market? And I just want to explain to the listeners something for a second. These are like the, the new corporations. These are like we talked about for 10, 20 years, corporations needing to be more like have more quality and we need to like force government regulation to be better. Like companies shouldn't just deal with their shareholders and all this stuff. And then crypto, another beautiful aspect of this invention is creating these new type of corporations. And then you have Kava Labs that launches this new amazing product. And what happens? There is a vote. There has to be a, a governance vote. It's, it's brilliant. Like this whole concept of that didn't exist three <laughs> months ago, three years ago. Like it doesn't, people can't wrap their heads around this. And then what's so cool, and you may not think it's cool, but I thought it was cool, was that uh, in this, in, in actually one of your previous votes, the, uh, a quorum wasn't met. And so, you know, there's a re-mechanism of it and, and now you're, you're, it's, it's being going, going through again. But it, it's just kind of like a function of government in a way. It's like, how cool is that? And then, and then we'll get back to, to yeah, the hard yeah, money yeah. account. So, I just think it's so cool. I mean, what, what you're speaking to is actually a pain of mind because I, I know it. It's so cool though. <laughs> you know, iterate the, the, what, what new features we ship on the Kava blockchain. You know, we're, we're the main developers uh, that, that contributes to this platform. But, but what you're referencing is that we, Kava Labs, proposed a, a new vote to complete the hard money market product. Uh, basically the supply side, the rewards, that was all complete then adding the borrowing functionality to, to make the, the two-side marketplace fully complete. We had the, the code ready. It's been audited. We put out an upgrade proposal to the, the, the governance group. And while we voted in favor of it, the ultimately not enough people participated. Quorum wasn't met. I don't know if that was because they were abstaining. I'm in a homeowner's association um, and we never get quorum ever. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. hard. It's, it's, it's art thing. I mean, it is communication, especially when you have large validators like exchanges, uh, Binance, which holds 10% and, you know, Kraken, which holds, uh, you know, quite a bit themselves. Yeah. They tend to take the view of like, we're not going to vote because then we're siding with one side or another and we don't want to be stuck in the middle between a community war. 
But what that does make, it makes it pretty difficult for reaching quorum. You need just way more participation of all the non-exchange people. Um, but I think what, what gets you excited is that it really does mean that what Kava's building is decentralized because if it was up to us, it would have been upgraded already. Yeah. <laughs> and we would be well on our way to, to our next problems and, and tackling the, the next stage of our roadmap. But, but it's like now you have, have to like... Food. And now we have to rally the community and make sure that they look and they approve it. And then it, uh, you know, hopefully it, it passes, but, you know, they also could reject it again. Um, but that's, that's how DAOs work. Yeah. And I could just imagine you guys like having, maybe having like a little party planned or something and having, you know, <laughs> food, ordering food. It's like, yeah, we tried to ship this new product, but we couldn't reach Quorum with the governance group. And the pizza company's like, what? Like, it's just like, it's Take such back a non- the 12 pizzas. <laughs> Take back the 12. Like, it wasn't a no. We just, it's so, it's, but so what is this product and why is it, and why is it so revolutionary? Because we've been talking about it and I'm excited. Mm. You're convinced. So, so when we, we think about DeFi, there's four main services that need to be provided to just do basic blocking and tackling. And Ethereum through its history has built up those. So there, there's like the, the lending app, the collateralized loans. So Ethereum and, and, uh, DAI, uh, with Ethereum being used as collateral to mint DAI, you have Maker, you have Compound, which provides money market services, this pools, uh, lenders and borrowers. And then you have other really interesting things like Uniswap and, and robo-advisors like uh, Wi-Fi uh, that come out and they figure out from a user perspective how to route capital to the most efficient place. And What's been really nice with, with Kava is we've built up this special purpose DeFi platform. We built all the, the plumbing to have cross chain bridges to get assets like BTC and XRP onto our platform uh, in, a, in a decentralized fashion. We've started off as a single application blockchain, uh, providing collateralized loans uh, using assets like BNB and BTC to mint USDX. Hard is the second application. Oh, so as Kava turned from that single application blockchain more to a platform, which hosts infrastructure for crushing applications. The, the hard money market is that service that allows people to supply assets like ETC uh, into pools where then borrowers can put up collateral and borrow against them. Uh, they can use this for shorting. They can use this to get leverage. That's really uh, cool. And the uh, interest that borrowers pay go directly back to the lenders in a pro rata fashion. Uh, and this is all done programmatically um, in a way that's very safe for lenders and it still provides access uh, to borrowers on the other side. So this upgrade that we're talking about was the completion of that hard money market protocol that, that we had launched back in November. Uh, we've been working very diligently for the past six months or I guess five months now uh, on it. And we were very keen to get shipped because then we want to move on to the third piece, which is the AMM that will allow all these great assets once they're on Kava and on our platforms to be swapped and traded seamlessly uh, without the need of you know, a centralized counterparty or, or an exchange in KYC and everything else. That's, that is super cool. And, and you've uh, piqued my interest more to, uh, to, to, to further my research in this and actually read um, a bunch of the smart contracts and how they work. I, I, I'm constantly surprised by how, uh, how far we're moving, how fast we're moving with, in terms of like, R&D research and development. So the amount of companies that launched were just with the word labs in their title is beautiful. So um, I want to actually end off and I never thought I'd do this, but be like, get out the vote. Go out and vote, everyone. <laughs> go, go vote. Yeah, no, voting is super important. Uh, For all no your blockchain applications. If you're a free lunch, if you know, you're, you're a 
community participant in Kava, it's very important that you vote. You own a part of this decentralized bank or platform that we're building, uh, and the evolution is very dependent on it. And you know, my biggest fear, even though I love Bitcoin, is that we evolve at the speed of Bitcoin. We're just getting new mm. upgrades like Taproot or Schnorr's through. It takes years. Uh, I don't want. I want that to happen to Kava, but much later in its life. Today, I want things to be moving quickly and smoothly, but it means that we have to have participation. And yeah, no one remembers that Bitcoin broke like five times in its early years. It hard forked like three times. Satoshi had to like refix it again. It was a whole thing. I'll, I'll, I'm going to go into some of that on my next episode. But Brian Kerr, you're the founder and CEO of Kava Labs. Thank you so much for taking the time and coming on Untold Stories today. And uh, and I hope everything goes goes well, really, really well with you. And uh, And I'll talk to you soon and I'll hopefully see you soon. Thanks so much for having me.